0: Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff.
1: And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you learn about a five-step process for finding work-life balance, photosynthetic bacteria that have never seen the sun, and why researchers built a digital model of the first known analog
0: computer. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Work-life balance can sometimes feel a little mythical, like the Loch Ness Monster, Some people say they've seen it, while others aren't even sure it's real. Luckily, a recent study is making it a little less make-believe. I'm talking about work-life balance, not the Loch Ness Monster. Researchers from the UK and France took a look at work-life balance and found that it's not something you achieve at all. Instead, it might be something you maintain in a cycle that repeats itself throughout your career. Now, the good news is that these researchers also identified five steps to maintain work life balance in your own career. For the study, researchers interviewed about 80 office workers. The people were all between the ages of 30 and 50. They worked in middle or senior management, and they all had at least one child. But there was a key difference. About half of the women and a third of the men said they resisted working long hours at the office. The rest did work long hours because they thought that was what it meant to be professional. The researchers took a closer look at the people who resisted working long hours, and they found that they employed pretty similar strategies. They might not always have what they would call a perfect work-life balance, but they were always prioritizing what felt most important to them. The researchers were able to sort out five steps that these people take in their work. And these are steps that you can take, too. First, pause when you catch yourself thinking things like, I'm a professional, so I should work all the time. Then check in on your stress levels and ask yourself what's currently causing that stress. Next, zero in on your emotions after you've evaluated your current work-life situation. Does thinking about your life make you feel angry, resentful, sad, energized, or overwhelmed? Then reprioritize. Ask yourself if working long hours is worth the cost. Cutting down on family time or relaxation or doing the hobbies you enjoy. And then think through the alternatives. If you've decided to prioritize a hobby that you've been neglecting, how could you tweak things at work to accommodate those new priorities? And then finally, implement changes. You can ask your supervisor for greater flexibility or decide to say no to a few new projects instead of agreeing to everything. And once you've done these things, remember that achieving work-life balance isn't a one-time fix. At some point, your priorities might change and you'll need to reevaluate. It's a cycle that you'll likely go through over the whole course of your professional and personal life. Take stock of your priorities and do what you can to give them equal attention.
1: Photosynthesis requires light. I mean, plants use light to create energy. That's the basic definition of photosynthesis. But a team of microbiologists once found photosynthesis happening in the last place anyone would ever think to look. The ocean floor. How could photosynthesis ever work so far below the reach of sunlight? The answer? It uses a different kind of light. Sixteen years ago, a team of researchers discovered some bacteria living 2.4 kilometers, or about a mile and a half, below the surface of the ocean. The bacteria were found near a hydrothermal vent that was spewing hot sulfuric compounds into the water. Life is surprisingly common near vents like these, so that wasn't weird by itself. The weird part was that some of these bacteria rely on photosynthesis to survive. Here's how weird that is. Sunlight typically reaches only about 100 meters down, meaning that there is a lot of darkness above these bacteria. And yet photosynthesis is still happening by using light from an alternate source. Magma in the vent glows with visible light, but also with infrared light as heat. In fact, most of the geothermal light produced by these vents is in the form of heat, and that leaves only a small amount of visible light that these bacteria can use for photosynthesis. The form of photosynthesis going on here is pretty different from the photosynthesis that the ficus in the corner of your room is doing. That plant is using light to harvest energy from CO2. The seafloor bacteria are using the dim, visible light from the vent to break apart the sulfuric compounds that are being spewed from the vent itself. So how do these bacteria survive on so little light? It's thanks to elongated, light-catching structures that resemble antennae. These things help them scoop up every last ounce of the dim light that they need. Whenever we find life persisting in unusual, even alien places... It's in forms that we don't see anywhere else. As we search for the possibility of life on other planets, looking at the most unlikely and reclusive life forms on Earth can give us an idea of what to look out for. For example, Jupiter's moon Europa is too far away from the sun to enable ordinary photosynthesis. But scientists believe that there might be active thermal vents underneath its oceans. So, who knows? In the immortal words of Dr. Ian Malcolm, life uh, finds a way, even in the most unlikely places.
0: Imagine the original analog computer. Are you picturing a room-sized punch card machine with the power of a calculator? Well, try thousands of years older, back to the ancient Greeks. That's right, the ancient Greeks had the earliest analog computer known to man. It was called the Antikythera Mechanism and new research is uncovering more of its mysteries. Our knowledge of this device dates back to 1900, CE. That's when a Greek diver was exploring a shipwreck off the coast of the island of Antikythera and made a fascinating discovery. It was an ancient Roman ship that was full of artifacts from 65 BCE. A year after its discovery, an archaeologist realized that some fragments that seemed to be rock had gears embedded within them. It wasn't rock. It was corroded bronze. After careful inspection, experts found 80 pieces of gear wheels, dials, things that looked like clock hands, and a wooden and bronze casing bearing ancient Greek inscriptions. Over time, archaeologists have uncovered many of the Antikythera mechanism's secrets. The collection of gears encased within a box had the capability of predicting the positions of the sun and the moon and all of the planets the Greeks knew about, each with an impressive degree of accuracy. The device can even account for the slight changes in the moon's velocity as it orbits the Earth. Recently, a team of researchers at University College London have constructed the most accurate model of the Antikythera mechanism to date. They scanned the mechanism's components using X-ray tomography, and they were able to reconstruct the missing pieces of the mechanism to produce a working digital model. They combined that model with what they knew of ancient Greek astronomy to figure out how these ancient astronomers made such accurate measurements. A hand-crank-powered device that mechanically computes the positions of celestial bodies uh, Yeah, might not be impressive by today's standards, But think about how old this thing is for a minute. It uses gears, but it predates clockwork technology by well more than a millennium. The suggestion here is that scientific knowledge at the time of the Greeks might have been more advanced than we're aware of and simply lost to time. Some researchers think that the reason for this might have to do with the value of bronze at the time, which was often melted down and recycled. If that ship hadn't sunk thousands of years ago, the Antikythera mechanism may have been lost to time. I guess that in a way that makes the shipwreck a sunk cost, Ashley?
1: I get it, Cody. Cool. It's pretty good. <laughs> All right, well, let's recap what we learned today to wrap up. Starting with the fact that if you're having a hard time hitting that moving target of work-life balance, Then take some time to reflect on your stress levels and your emotions and what's currently causing them. Then reprioritize if you need to and think about how you could change your work habits to give yourself more time for other priorities. And remember to implement your changes, even if that means talking to your boss about more flexibility.
0: I opened up a little conversation on social media about work-life balance, and I got about 30 replies, very scientific. But you know what really surprised me, Ashley? is most people said their number one tip for finding a good work-life balance is scheduling. Like people swear by their schedules. I mean, of course, we've talked about that a lot and having a schedule is good and sticking to it, but I wouldn't have associated that with work-life balance, but there you go.
1: Sure, I guess a lot of times we think about work-life balance as kind of throwing organization out the window and just going to play ball with your kid or something. But it's like, if you pencil in that time to go do that, you're making it a priority and you will do it versus just assuming that you'll get to it. And then, you know, work takes over and then you, by the time you know it, it's like eight o'clock at night and your whole day has gone.
0: Yeah. Kind of ladders up into the, the priorities thing. So totally a lot of different tricks out there and tips, which we'll continue to bring you here on the award-winning curiosity daily podcast. Is that too much? <laughs> Too much. (laughs) Too much. Too much. Okay. Well, hey, we also learned that there are photosynthetic bacteria that have never seen the sun. They use tiny amounts of light from hydrothermal vents, and they use that light to break apart sulfuric compounds coming out of vents that are located deep underwater. And every time we find something like this, that shows us a new way that life can survive, and that improves our chances of finding life on other worlds that we may not normally think of as particularly hospitable. I mean, Ashley, even the SETI eel could exist on SETI Alpha 5, where the crew of the SS Botany Bay was stranded for a short time.
1: I'm guessing that by SETI, you don't mean search for extraterrestrial intelligence
0: eel. No, no, I'm <laughs> I'm heavily referencing Star Trek 2, The Wrath of Khan. Got it. The best Star Trek movie. Go check it out. Although, oh, the the Voyage Home is really good.
1: Are you having a debate about Star Trek with your own self
0: on this podcast? No, (laughs) I would never do that.
1: (laughs) Well, we also learned that researchers designed a digital model of the Antikythera mechanism. This thing is so cool. It's an analog computer from ancient Greece that could mechanically compute the positions of celestial bodies. And it really raises the question of whether the ancient Greeks were more technologically advanced than we thought. There's so much cool stuff from the ancient world that is lost to time. And like, what if they solved some longstanding scientific questions that we're still trying to figure out? What if? It just makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up.
0: Right, because they would have, like, salvaged the bronze for other uses. And it makes you think of what about other cultures? Ashley, what if Neanderthals had electric cars made out of flank steak? Oh, is this going to be a pun? What is this? No, it's because the steak would have been eaten.
1: Oh, I see. (laughs)
0: You, you give me way too much credit. I didn't have a sophisticated pun there. It was just a really dumb joke about building electric cars out of steak that they would have eaten. Today's stories were written by Kelsey Donk and Cameron Duke and edited by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily.
1: Today's episode is produced and edited by Cody Goff.
0: Stick to your schedule this week by joining us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes.
1: And until then, stay curious.